0: Good morning. It's the second week in a row we've had uh, a reading with lots of names that are not familiar to us. I think we're doing pretty well. My name is Alex and I serve as Senior Minister here at Knox. Why don't we pray before we reflect further on this passage. Holy Spirit, would you come among us and would you guide our thinking? Lord, it feels sometimes like... There are so many competing interests, so many voices we hear. Would you still our hearts right now? Would you focus our minds so that we can receive your teaching, so that we can be shaped by you, so that we can see Jesus more clearly today? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So I'm still relatively new at Knox, and something you might not know about me is that in 2012, I helped to start a group on social media for the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Now, that doesn't sound all that interesting, (laughs) but it came with its share of adventure. So, I was one of eight admins for this group, and eight of us came from a whole range of different backgrounds and views. we were working well as a team running things. At the height of this group's existence, we had 5,000 members. It was a lot of church events, communication about uh, fundraisers, anniversaries. People would also post interesting articles and sometimes their own theories. I remember one theory about kimchi the spicy fermented cabbage that is one of Korea's great gifts to the universe. This guy who advanced this theory was convinced that if Scottish Presbyterians would repent of their bland diet and eat more kimchi, that Holy Spirit fire would erupt all over the church. I love kimchi, so I was more than willing to give it a shot. But at times, things got heated in this group for other reasons. We had someone in BC who loved to provoke from the right. We had someone else in Ontario who did the same thing from the left. And things sometimes got political. During the pandemic, it seemed like more than a few people forgot how to be civil. And there was a stretch of a couple of weeks in 2021, where the community kind of exploded. A lot of us were having a hard time, and it seemed to come out in our comments and our reactions to one another. And as admins, we regrettably had to make the decision to shut down the group shortly after that, because it was proving to be just too much effort for those of us, we were all volunteers as admins. And it didn't seem like reconciliation was gonna be possible in that format. I like to think that after the group ended, we went back to our local congregations and invested our time more wisely. So today we come to the third week of our sermon series on Knox's vision, following Jesus, loving the city, and serving the world. The Apostle Paul believed that God has called us to serve the world by pursuing reconciliation. And that reconciliation ultimately is only possible in Jesus Christ. He believed that the gospel would change the world. And he traveled far and wide, as far and wide as he could, telling people about Jesus. He dedicated himself to starting churches that were centered on Christ and in which people learned to love God and love each other and seek the peace and prosperity of the city around them. And Paul wrote this letter that we've heard read. He wrote this letter to Philemon for that exact reason. He wanted to help Philemon more deeply understand who he really was in Christ and to live out that faith. And so he set out to change Philemon's mind. And this letter teaches us about Christian community as a result. The ways Christians should handle conflict, how they can approach controversial questions of different kinds. And Philemon shows us how we can serve the world as the gospel changes us at three levels. First of all, in our friendships, in the people we're close to around us. Secondly, in the community of the church. And third, in the cultural and political world around us. And if you wanna follow along, maybe you've got it on your phone, but in your Pew Bibles, you'll find the letter to Philemon on page 1183. And it's really handy because it all fits on one page. Isn't that amazing? Just have one page and you can see the whole letter. So first of all, let's talk about this letter. It's an unusual letter. There are letters, there are plenty of letters in the New Testament, but If you know the writings of Paul, you may not recognize him here. At first, this doesn't seem to be Paul's usual substantial theology, the way he's always bringing us back to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the way he dishes out these crazy, thick, rich, packed sentences, full of the gospel, but sentences that sometimes leave your head spinning. You have to go back if you're like me and read them four or five times. This letter is the shortest of all of Paul's writings contained in the Bible. You could easily miss it if you leafed through the 27 books of the New Testament. There are only 335 words in Philemon in the original Greek, but they reveal, I think, they reveal who Paul was more than perhaps some of his better-known letters do. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter from Rome, where he was under house arrest. And so he identifies himself as a prisoner. And even, this might have surprised you, even as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which means that Paul had accepted his challenging circumstances, that it wasn't an accident, that his life hadn't taken a wrong turn, but that actually... God meant for him to be in that difficult place and was going to use him. So that's why he says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he was writing to his friend Philemon far away in the city of Colossae, which today would be in southwestern Turkey, not too far from the city of Izmir. The main characters in this story are Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Philemon was a wealthy man who. Paul had introduced to Jesus and who had converted to Christian faith. Onesimus was a slave who had run away from his master, and his master was Philemon. Now, Onesimus had also become a Christian thanks to Paul, and they became friends as well, really good friends. The big question that looms over this letter is what will Philemon do with Onesimus, now that the runaway slave is coming home. The wider context of this letter is the Roman Empire. Half of the Roman Empire's population were slaves, and its entire economy was built on slave labor. And Roman society was a hierarchy in which slaves were at the bottom and Roman citizens were at the top, and they would often have been slave owners. Slaves were considered to be property, valuable property. Some were treated well, others were severely mistreated. There was no concept of universal human rights at that time. This hierarchy with so many slaves seemed perfectly natural to the thinkers of that day. And Christians would would be the ones to change that over the coming centuries. So a slave owner could do what he wanted with his property. And if he was dealing with a runaway slave, normally the punishment was brutal. Onesimus had run away, and he was facing possibly a death sentence on his return to Philemon. And judging from verse 18, it seems like Paul makes an oblique reference to Philemon perhaps having stolen something from, or Onesimus having stolen something from Philemon as he was running away which would have made his crime even worse. But Onesimus had changed. And at some point in his fugitive wanderings, he had met up with Paul. And through Paul's ministry, he had encountered Jesus. And in the process, he changed. He became like a new man. And his relationship with Paul, we learn, grew so that he became like a son to the apostle. And we see evidence of the depth of The conversion of Onesimus in that he was actually willing to return to his master and to face judgment. Judgment which might have been terrible. There was a debt to be paid and he seems to have recognized that. So this whole letter comes out of a friendship. That's the first point, that Christian friendship paves the way to forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul calls Philemon a dear friend and a fellow worker, but there's more. Philemon first heard about Jesus from Paul, and he had come to faith in Christ through their relationship. As verse 19 puts it, he owed Paul his very self, his life, his new faith, his new hope, the person he'd become as a new believer in Jesus. And so it turns out that the master had a master. Yes, Philemon had all this worldly power and wealth, but Paul, as his mentor and spiritual father, had authority over him. The master had a master. A prisoner had authority over a slave owner. The rich man, at a deeper level, was actually poor. And so the order of things is upset. Paul says to Philemon, you are a completely different person now. You have been made new in Christ, and it's not just the spiritual thing that happened between you and God. No, it's going to affect your whole life and how you relate to everyone. As a friend and mentor, Paul wanted to influence how Philemon saw himself. How do you go about trying to influence people in your life? We all do it. Whether we are conscious of it, intentional about it, is another question. In Hebrews 10, it says, Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In the Christian life, our friendships and the ways we influence one another are not focused on getting more for ourselves. That's one way you could influence someone in your own self interest. No. For the Christian, God calls us to love him and to love our neighbor, not to pursue what is to our advantage in any given relationship. God's love is not easy in that regard, but it's where he promises we will find our true purpose. It's where God meets us, changes us, and blesses us, gives us a deeper joy and peace. Do you have friends who do that for you? Do you have friends who spur you on in your relationship with God? Now, being spurred on isn't always going to be a good time. You get that from the spurs, I think, right? But we need it. Like Paul in this letter, a good friend starts with a greeting, and this is the structure of his letter. Your friend will start by greeting you and possibly start with And move on at that point to thanksgiving. Giving thanks to you and giving thanks to God. And then offer encouragement. That sounds like a pretty good recipe for coffee with a friend. For going for a walk with a friend. But a good friend doesn't stop there. A good friend in Christ will appeal to us on the basis of love. They will forgive us and help us to forgive others. Often we get stuck In that place of bitterness, of unforgiveness. And they will pray for us to bring the power of the Holy Spirit into things that seem unmovable. They remind us of God's calling, they point us to Jesus, and they do that intentionally. That might be how you could describe sharing our faith with one another. How can you practice that kind of friendship? this week with somebody you have already in your calendar that you're meeting with? Who has God recently put in your path at work, in your residence, in your classes, in your neighborhood, a family member, a friend who's come back on the scene? Who is God inviting you to be more intentional, more prayerful about encouraging Well, our friends also influence our connection with our wider community. Do you notice how much time when you meet up with a friend you spend talking about other people? Sometimes we do that and complain about them. We criticize and we judge and we lose an opportunity as we do so. But Paul does the opposite here in his letter. He urges Philemon to forgive Onesimus. First of all, he recognizes the claim his friend has on Onesimus, his runaway slave. In Roman, in Roman law, as the pater familias, as the, fa- the father of the family, the head of the household, Philemon had absolute authority to act alone and do what he wanted to do with Onesimus. It wasn't right, but it was the way things worked. But Paul points to a different way. From the beginning of his letter, from verse 2, he addressed himself to the entire Christian community meeting in Philemon's house. There was a church meeting there that Philemon was a part of. It was his house. It was not his church. And so he sets this unfolding drama within the life of that congregation. And he implies that the decision about Onesimus needs to be worked out in community rather than being made simply by one powerful individual. It's hard for us, I think, to relate to the church taking such an active role in a private matter, especially one with significant financial implications. We live in a hyper individualistic world. I think our first thought when someone might come to us with a question, whether financial or otherwise, that is too close to home, we think that is none of your business back right off. But Paul makes it pretty clear in this letter that everything we do is, in fact, God's business. And a primary way he breaks down those things that we refuse to give him is through real community. He knows at the end of that struggle, there's a new freedom, a new blessing that comes for us. And real community takes commitment. And if it's real, there will be conflict. How strange is it that we assume over and over again that there shouldn't be conflict in community, there shouldn't be conflict in friendship. No, of course there will be. And we see conflict here in Philemon's relationship with Anesimus and I think with Paul. It's in just this kind of community that God really meets us. In verse 6, Paul uses the word koinonia for it. It's a Greek word that means a lot of things. It's a rich, multifaceted word. It means participation, sharing, communion, or partnership, as it's translated here in the NIV translation. And as we step into those relationships, we will find that we are led into a deeper experience of what Paul says are all the good things we have in Christ. And Paul goes on. He says... Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Isn't that what we long for often, refreshment, joy? Isn't that what we need more? Well, that is where this kind of love, this kind of relationship in community leads, and it goes deep. The King James Version puts it like this, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. If you've ever wondered why we need modern translations, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I give you the bowels of the saints. But I love the King James Version there, too, because Paul is saying that the love we need to have, the love we lack, the love that God wants us to experience only happens as we go deeper. It's visceral. You know this word, visceral? It refers to your internal organs. And yes, they include your intestines. When we talk about feeling something viscerally, we're talking about feeling it deeply. And so we have a choice. We can go through life and stay shallow. We can keep our distance, Within the church, we can have superficial relationships with others. But Paul says, if you want to really live, to have every good thing, then love deeply. And we find that deeper love in different places. But perhaps most of all, as Christians, we find it in small groups. Home churches, like the one that met in Philemon's house. And we've been talking about home churches all month. And if you're on the verge of wanting to find out more, I hope we can push you over this morning. And you can talk to me, you could talk to Nick, you could talk to anyone who's been up here this morning about that. It takes time and it's a risk. But when we meet week by week as a group in someone's home to talk about our lives, to read, and to reflect on Scripture together, to pray for one another, to encourage each other, we are sharing our faith as Paul puts in this letter. We are sharing our faith so that we can have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. But Paul wants to take this conversation beyond his friendship with Philemon, even beyond Philemon's household and church community. The gospel of amazing grace in Christ is good news for the whole world, and it will affect and change the culture around us. Paul uses humor in verse 10 to make his point. Onesimus, was a common Greek name, which means useful or beneficial. It's in the footnote there. So obviously, Onesimus wasn't living up to his name when he ran away from Philemon. But now that he's returning, he'll be useful again. This might not be laugh-out-loud funny to you, but trust me, it's a joke. Paul's playing with words here. And he picks this up later by saying something much More radical. He explains to Philemon that Onesimus isn't returning as a slave, but as something much better than a slave, as a dear brother. Paul teaches this elsewhere in Colossians and Galatians. He says, among Christians there is neither Jew nor Greek. That was the big division of that time, socially, culturally, Jews and Gentiles. He says, there's no such thing when you're in Christ. There's no slave or free either but we are all one in jesus and his letter to philemon shows us how to practice that the labels society pins on us are washed away symbolically by water at our baptism no one will ever be able to call little zoe anything other than a daughter of god that is who she is and so we come up from that water whether as a baby or as an adult, to receive the freedom of new life in Christ. We are no longer rich or poor, liberal or conservative, from the city or from the country, old or young, a success or a failure, whatever you feel you've had pinned on you by way of label. This goes so far that we are neither black nor white, male nor female, but we are in Christ together. That is who we are. It has been sad for me to see how the church has failed to live up to that calling in recent years. You can imagine how Philemon might have taken this letter. He was rich, and he believed in order and the rule of law. Clearly a conservative. Why should he treat Onesimus as a brother? That was not the law of the land. He probably did not like what he was hearing from Paul, even though Paul was his mentor. And he could have dismissed Paul as a dangerous radical, rejected his advice, ended their relationship. We see that kind of thing going on all over the place in our society. The issue is no longer slavery, but we disagree on so many things, and we're polarized. And so conservatives end up in conservative churches where truth is the focus, and liberals end up in liberal churches where it's all about mercy and justice. As your pastor, it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will give us, as a congregation at Knox, wisdom so that we can be faithful to both the mercy and the truth of Jesus, and that He will spur us on into deeper togetherness, even when we disagree, as we will. And I think Paul models that for us here. He doesn't take a hard line, he's in it for the long haul. He asks Philemon to prepare a room for him. He's coming. They're going to talk. Are we prepared to do likewise? To continue in relationship with one another, even when there's tension and conflict? Are we willing to lay down our personal agendas and to seek the peace and prosperity of the church for the sake of Jesus? When your identity is really in Christ, and not in anything else. When you're truly in Christ, you can let go of your fear and insecurity, the need to be right, the need to impress others, the pursuit of success for its own sake. We are no longer useful for what we can do, or for what we've accomplished, but for who we are in Jesus. And so Paul models God's generosity and grace in this letter when he offers to pay the debt that Onesimus has incurred. At the same time, he points to a deeper debt which even Philemon, this rich man, owed and from which he was released only by the greatest act of liberation, the death of Jesus at the cross. In Ephesians 2, Paul makes the cross the basis for all hope of reconciliation. He writes his purpose, the purpose of Jesus, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, out of Jews and Gentiles, to bring them together making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Look, in relation to God, all of us are lost. We're all runaways, but Jesus took our place. Jesus was the one who returned home to make good on our debt, and now he waits. He waits for us with open arms, We simply need to admit that we need him, that we can't make it on our own. We need to confess our sin, and he welcomes us home. This is radical freedom. It begins with each one of us, and then it confronts the culture. Onesimus is in major trouble here. Philemon is also poised to take a great risk. Paul respects Roman law in his letter, He sends Onesimus back to Philemon, and he acknowledges the wrong that has been done, as well as the master's right to choose the fate of his slave. But Paul has also invoked a higher law, the way of Christ. And he writes, confident of Philemon's obedience to it, knowing that he will do even more than is asked of him. And here we have the not-so-subtle hint that Philemon should free Onesimus not merely refrain from punishing him. The gospel serves the world by confronting the culture with a message of freedom that not only changes us spiritually, but which transforms society around us. The risk for Philemon was that by challenging the norms of his culture, he might have been rejected by it. Other slaveholders would have had nothing to do with him. In the end, Paul leaves the decision with Philemon, knowing that he had the support of the church that met in his home, that they would pray for him, wrestle through it with him, as well as the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more we could say arising from Philemon. The story of the struggle led by Christians in no small part to end slavery starts here in a way and continues today. Later in this morning's service, we're going to sing John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Newton was a slave trader until he met Jesus. And then he played a key role in mentoring William Wilberforce, the English politician who led the fight to abolish the slave trade, which he accomplished in 1807. But there's still slavery in our world, there's still great injustice, and we are still called to seek reconciliation, to seek freedom for the captives. And over the next couple of Sundays, you've heard it already as part of our focus on missions, We will have special speakers. You will hear stories well beyond Knox, well beyond Toronto, of how we are still called to serve the world by making disciples who pursue reconciliation. As we've seen, it starts with friendship. God extends his grace and his own friendship incredibly to us in Christ. Christ who says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. And as we respond to that invitation, as we practice the friendship that points to Christ and leads into the community of shared faith, we will find that this promise of every good thing will be realized in our own hearts, in our own minds. And so we say, come Lord Jesus, come among us at Knox, come into your church. Amen. A couple of questions for you to reflect on in this next moment. How are you spurring on a friend towards love in your life right now? And how are you receiving that encouragement also? Maybe you can name someone in your mind. Secondly, in what ways is the Holy Spirit prompting you to participate in Jesus' work of seeking reconciliation in the church? and in the wider world.